So here's a little bit of a disclaimer. You know, sometimes you watch the pilot episode of a TV show and then you watch the rest of the show and the pilot sounds a little different or has a little bit of a tone than all the rest of the episodes. Well, we actually recorded episode two before we recorded episode one and then did some listening and decided to change up some things. So in order to make those changes fit, we had to do a little bit of editing to this particular episode. So if there's anything that seems a little weird and out of place, we apologize. We had to keep this episode because we, we end up talking about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling for about like 15 minutes and... That's just too good to let go. Apologize in advance. Hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode two, brought to you by Larry's House of Weasels. For all your weasel needs, shop at Larry's. Hey guys, welcome to the Give Me Five podcast, which three guys talk about the entertainment that they find interesting. And then, inevitably, I delete the main files and have to re-record the opening sequence at midnight about a week after we recorded it to begin with. Yeah. So we're going to talk about movies, music, TV, streaming, comics, books, all that kind of stuff. Some nostalgia, some new stuff, some new stuff that is nostalgic. Anyway, we're going to get started. Thanks for listening. Heads up. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. Don't say we didn't warn you. We will introduce each topic before we discuss it. So that gives you the opportunity to skip forward or to stick around and hear what we think. If you do skip forward, don't forget to come back, listen, and let us know what you think. Okay, well, I guess I'll start it off. Um, I had the opportunity recently to go to Disney's new area called Pandora. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's uh, set up as a land from the movie Avatar. And it's it it's at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And I must say the set design that they've got there is actually pretty good. Uh, they did a really good job with all of the uh, decorations and everything like that. Uh, it is a little small. There's not a ton to do other than the two rides there. The two rides are worth... A little bit of time in line. I don't know that I would wait the two and a half hours that a lot of people were waiting to go onto Flight of Passage, but I will say that it is a fantastic ride. I myself do have some issues with flight simulators. They make me nauseous. Uh, make yeah, I was going to ask about that because yeah. I've, I've seen what you look like after uh, <laughs> movie-based rides. Yeah, I, I do not do well with uh, simulators. I have I have a hard time. They make me nauseous, and they put me out of commission for about an hour or so. Um, I did I did go on this ride because I, went, I needed to try it once, and I'll say I had no issues afterwards. Um, they did an excellent job immersing you in the ride itself. Um, so I don't have a lot of like the peripheral issues that I do on some of the other rides. Um, and the, the ride, it's the, um, seats themselves are actually really neat because it's kind of like riding on a, a, like a motorcycle. You basically straddle the, um, the seat and you sit on it like a motorcycle. But one of the things that they do is the, the center column where your knees are resting, it actually, it actually um, inflates and deflates kind of with the rhythm of the breathing of the bird that you're supposed to be riding. That's very cool. It, 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 really, it really was. And that was one of the things I noticed right off the bat. 
Um, well, you are keen to notice things inflating and deflating between your legs. Uh, occasionally, yes, yes, occasionally. Um, but it is it is a really neat ride. I definitely recommend it. Um, Greg, I know that you're a little bit more sensitive than I am with the flight simulators. You might give it a shot. I do. Um, okay, it really depends. Like mm-hmm. the Harry Potter, the Harry Potter ride was um, about a week of being nauseous. Yeah. Well, the, but, well the, which one? Both of them, or just the fir- or just the, um, the castle forbidden the castle. journey? Yeah, the forbidden journey. Um, the forbidden journey is really. <laughs> it's yeah. a, it's a really cool ride. Don't get me wrong. It's a really cool yeah. ride, but it. As far as as far as the motion sickness and the flight simulator sickness that I get from it, it's it's really really bad. Yeah, so I don't that have... forbidden journey thing went sideways, kind of like in the yeah. tower with the dragon chasing you. I was like, right. I really would like this to be over. Yeah, um, but something like Soren, no problems whatsoever. Okay, well then you'll probably be okay at um, at Flight of Passage, and you'll probably really like it because it's a really cool ride. And nice. the other ride that's in Pandora is um, Navi River Journey, and it's an indoor ride, and it's cool in the summer. And <laughs> other than that, that, I'm actually very excited about because one of my favorite rides at Epcot is the Land, mm-hmm. and you can yeah, stick my butt one. on that thing and let me ride around that boat for hours. Partially because of the air conditioning, partially because I'm a dirty hippie and I really like the farming area. Right. Well, this is more just like a. Um, it's like a ride through. Basically, you're sitting in a boat and you're traveling down a river in Pandora. So you see you see vegetation, you see some wildlife, you see some more vegetation, you see some more wildlife. It's all under black light, so everything is lit kind of neat. And there's like two, two Navi in the ride, one at the end, one at the beginning, and then it's over. So not so a I guess. Ride. No, not not at all. It's it's more of a oh hey look at that oh hey look at that. But all in all, I would say it was it was neat to check out. I mean, I don't know that you can spend a whole day there. Well, you can probably spend a large portion of the day there waiting in line. Doesn't but sound like fun. It, no, it looks very much like a path pass through thing. If I I wouldn't buy Animal Kingdom tickets just for Pandora. No, would I would not either. Like a bonus. Yeah. Um, I I do really enjoy Animal Kingdom, so. I do plan on going in there in the future. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely. Greg, I think you also have uh, something to contribute to this is the Netflix series Castlevania. We will kind of discuss this uh, in tandem. I actually have not seen the series yet, but I did play the games. <laughs> You're going to actually have to fill that in for me because I did not play the games beyond the second one. So, so you played Castlevania 1 and 2. Where this series is based off of Castlevania Three: The Curse of Dracula. Um, so in this series, um, Trevor Belmont, who is a descendant of the hero from the first game, Simon Belmont, mm-hmm. comes back to Wallachia to help the people against the forces of darkness. He's, like, drunk, getting in brawls. He's your drunk... Doesn't really want to be there. Yeah, he's your drunk, out-of-shape hero who is just kind of stumbling through, but he's got experience under his belt. You know, the the Belmonts since the the first... Go ahead. The reluctant hero, the non-hero hero. hero. Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
you know, the, the Belmont family since the, the first one has been excommunicated from the church. And he's just, he kind of wants nothing to do with it. And he's traveling through the country and, and Dracula is unleashing his forces on the people um, for a good reason. Okay, so spoiler alert. Um, Dracula has unleashed his, unleashed his forces on the people because they the church has burned his wife at the stake for being a witch. Yeah, and that happens at the very beginning of the first episode. Okay. And you kind of go into it, and you see that kind of in the first 15 minutes, and you're like, I'm kind of on Dracula's side. Eh. You know? All right. I, I don't... Uh, I kind of understand why he's pissed, why he hates humanity, because he was getting to the point of where he didn't hate humanity, because he had a wife who was um, a doctor and made herbs and stuff, and they decided that was witchcraft and decided to kill her. Yeah, and, and you find at the you know very beginning of the first episode that Dracula is this almost like, like, oh, he's not that bad of a guy. Yeah, he's like, he's super sympathetic. Yeah, and... Starting the episode, I'm like, is this just going to be, like, friends with Dracula? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but And then and then you see the werewolf that he unleashes carrying away the baby. And I'm like, yeah, okay, he, maybe, maybe he did go overboard. It's pretty brutal. Um, it, it really, I mean, it's, it, it's brutal. It, okay. You know, it, there there are these werewolf zombie bat characters, and they're carrying babies away from their their mothers, and it it doesn't it's it's not afraid to cross that line with women and children. Um, it's it's very much in the style of um, manga. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Have you ever seen Ninja Scroll? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's very the the style of it is uh, the animation style is is very similar to that. Not as fluid, I would say. Um, there are there there were a few parts in the early episodes. Well, early episodes. There's only four, but I felt the animation was very slow, um, and that may have been done on purpose. But stylistically, very close to. You know, manga, Ninja Scroll, even, you know, Akira kind of comes to mind. Um, Yeah, I went into this with a lot of trepidation. As did I. I was like, I can't stand anime. You Mm. mentioned Akira. Mm. My anime love starts with Akira, ends with Ghost in the Shell, and I've tried every popular anime that people have said, you should try this, you'll like it. It's like, you're the stuff you like. I very rarely get past one episode. I agree with that 100%. Um, yeah. Although I would throw Ninja Scroll into that as well, because I and love I guess that Robotech movie. for me as well, but that's like yeah. older. Yeah, Robotech, Appleseed. Um, so I, I really went into this with trepidation because I saw... There's a, there's a few things. So first of all, my past experience with um, Castlevania was I still remember the first time I saw it. I was at a little pizza parlor in Pittsburgh. And you they had the one first of those, time you saw the game? The game, the game. I was in a little pizza parlor, and they had one of those Nintendo arcade things where you could pick, like, any of the uh, games. Yeah. So oh. I knew Mario Brothers. I knew Super Mario Brothers. I knew um, a couple of the other ones, but there's this game called Castlevania, and I played it 
and I was like, and I still remember like thinking about the game as we left. I did not have a Nintendo at home, so I was like, I got to find this game again. So you poor, poor, deprived child. I didn't until <laughs> 1988. We were uh, in the process of moving between 80, 86 and 88 when I saw this thing. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so, so I had a very positive feelings towards Castlevania, but as I said before, not a big fan of anime. And then I realized, right. I found out that the writer was Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis. And, and he is one of my favorite all-time comic writers. Oh, really? Um, okay. He wrote The Authority. He, did, he does a lot of deconstruction stuff. Um, where and he's he's if you guys don't know who he is he's a British writer um, he wrote a comic called Transmetropolitan which is about like a Gonzo kind of reporter and he wrote the Authority which is kind of a super team that's in it deconstructs the idea of being super powered mm-hmm. so when I saw that he was writing this I was like okay and then I saw the voice actors and they were awesome you know Richard Armitage from uh, the Hobbit and Hannibal um, he was Thorin in the Hobbit yeah. Yeah, and uh, was it and uh, Graham McTavish, who's actually currently on Preacher, which I will discuss later, and James Callis um, from the I guess most that. recent incarnation of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah. So the voice cast was great, and then I'm like, okay, this is awesome, and then I see that it is made by um, Frederator Studios, which did Adventure Time, and I can't stand that. Oh, <laughs> at all. see, I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I was very concerned. I mean. Not really concerned so much as like, am I really going to watch this? Do I really? It has pluses and minuses. Um, yeah. But I started watching the four episodes. I finished them in two nights and watched them twice because I was like, this is awesome. Hmm. Um, I turned out I really liked the animation. I really liked the action sequences. There's some really good good fight scenes, and there are a lot of different types of fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Un- until I saw this, I, I thought the animation style was very rigid you know, but, and then they started fighting and I go, okay, this is for me. Um, one, uh, one more kind of noteworthy thing I wanted to point is, um, the, one of the executive producers is Adi Shankar, who in my opinion is a, just an incredibly smart, uh, forward thinking director, producer, um, Adi Shankar was actually the youngest producer to, I believe, win an award for a, um, a film. Uh, you may know that film. It's called The Gray. Yeah, with uh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Adi Shankar produced that. That movie is really good. The movie is really good. Um, he was like 20 or 21 at the time. It, hmm. Something unheard of. But also he directed... Uh, he's really known for his bootleg universe on YouTube which includes uh, Venom, Truth and Journalism, and one of my favorites, uh, Dirty Laundry, uh, featuring The Punisher. And and I really feel like his version of The Punisher is how The Punisher movies should have gone. He also directed uh, or produced the Power Rangers short film that came out a couple of years ago with James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek that I feel like really reignited the the interest in Power Rangers that led to the movie coming out. Um, oh, so I can blame him. You can, yeah, well, yeah. His, his was really good. It was really gritty. But you can blame him for, you know, reigniting the public interest in that. 
kind of like you credit uh, Brian Singer with uh, the resurgence of the comic book movie with the uh, release of the X-Men. Yeah, I always thought that it was Blade that did that. Like, I've heard that people will say, well, Blade was what its success led to there being more budget for the X-Men. I mean, I guess I guess that's kind of kind of possible. Um, but I don't know that a lot of people – well, I mean, I don't know that the general public actually considered Blade a comic book movie because I don't know that Blade is that well of known of a comic book character. But, that's you true. know, I mean – I, I think I, the other, guess, the other big part ahead. of that was Marvel was like bleeding money at the time um, because of the crash of the comic book side of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, once well, Blade was like, once they realized that Blade was going to be able to make money, they sold off the rights of X-Men to Fox and we're still dealing with the repercussions of that. Blade mm-hmm. came out in 1998. So the first X-Men movie came out in 2000. Okay, so it was about two years apart. Yeah, I yeah. think it's fair to say that you know Blade really kind of that whole monster kind of superhero uh, movie really kind of led to establish a, a foundation for, you know, Marvel to, to really throw themselves into the superhero films. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think that's entirely possible. I don't know that I necessarily consider, well, I mean, he is a comic book hero, but I mean, it, it's to, to me, the blade movies are more in the vein of, um, like an underworld, not necessarily the the um, superhero movie, the uh, supernatural action movie. Yes, you know what's really in the vein of that kind of movie? What? Vampires. Veins. Or Castlevania. Veins. Get it? Okay. Uh, anyway, I hate everything. Wow. <laughs> Go on. So, uh, what what I was gonna say about Castlevania? One last thing is. Um, there is a defend the city type scene where the hero kind of takes so charge good. and tells everyone, everyone where to go and what to do and kind of mm-hmm. does the plans on on the fly, which type of scene you see in like a, a Lord of the Rings movie or something like that. You and know, that's like that's one of my things. Like you get you get that in a movie. I don't care what the rest of the movie is like or, the, or a TV show. I don't care what the rest of it's like. You get that. You over there do this and you, you know, wh- whoever can hold a sword, take your sword and I'll, you know. You give me that stuff, and I'm good. Yeah, I just need a, a yes or no answer from this. Have you guys seen seen Thirteen Assassins with Antonio uh, Banderas? Yes. No. Thirteen Assassins was a Quentin Tarantino produced film uh, uh, by Takashi Miike. Which one not. was the one with Banderas? Was that Thirteen Warriors? That was the Thirteenth Warrior. Thirteenth Warrior. Oh. Which was actually very underrated. It was. It was. Carry on. We'll talk about this later. Yes. Okay. So my next one is going to be the season two premiere, and now it's been about four episodes of Preacher. Um, either of you guys watching this? No. Um, I, I looked into it, but I, I didn't um, I didn't actually uh, jump in and start watching. Okay. I am not watching it, um, but I'd like to. Should. Um. For the for the people that aren't aware of it, it is a show on AMC. Um, it's based on a comic book that came out in the uh, uh, 1995, I think, to about 2000. Um, that was my super blasphemous time of my life. So when I saw a comic book that – I guess the base story is that God up and quits. And when he does so, his voice 
or Genesis as it's called, basically leaves him and goes to this preacher who's kind of a he's kind of a preacher because his dad was, but he doesn't really want to be. And it's in a small Texas town. The voice hits him when he's in the middle of a sermon at like a tiny little church and it basically vaporizes everyone in the church. Um now, as a result of this, he's got the voice of God, and he can make anyone do anything. Um, so he basically is pissed that he just has to deal with this extra stuff. There's angels hunting him. Um, God is, like I said, quit and is down on earth doing something. Farming. And they just don't even know where he is. Yeah, he's just kind of wandering. Playing skee-ball. Yeah, he's the, that would probably be where he should be. Um. So he's going to try to hunt him down to basically, you know, give him his voice back or, or you know, kill him, really. Um, and then along the way, he's got his girlfriend, who's kind of a hitman named Tulip. His, he hangs out with a Irish drunken bar-fighting vampire who's absolutely fantastic. Nice. Um, that that makes awesome. me That makes me want to watch it right there. Yeah. The comic, the comic itself... Was, had some scenes in it that, I mean, I I was reading this when I was in college. I was reading this, you know, like every I have every issue somewhere, nineteen ninety five to two thousand, and there's still exact scenes that I remember. You know him, you know a villain that he when whenever he tells someone to do something, they have to do it. There's a villain in the comic that he basically says, "Count all the sand on the beach," and it just shows him periodically throughout the next few episodes or issues trying to can't count all the sand on the beach. And, yeah, so there's stuff like that. Now, in season one of the TV show, um, they got a little bit into that stuff, a little bit into the absurdity kind of stuff. But they didn't go quite as, like, crazy with it as they could have, probably because it was the first season of a show. They were kind of finding themselves. Well, um, you, you say they got into the absur- ab- absurdity of it. Um, can you, I know there's a character in there called Arseface. There uh, is. Do you want to talk about him a little bit? <laughs> when I have an opportunity to talk about someone named Arseface, I will take the opportunity to talk about someone named Arseface. <laughs> Am I the only one who made the connection to Taserface? <laughs> I think so. I did when I saw the movie. I did. So Arseface is a character in the uh, in the comic and the and the TV show. In the comic, he was one of those kids that was a a Nirvana fan because it was in the 90s, who decided to shoot himself in the face with a shotgun because um, Kurt Cobain did. In the TV show, it's a little, you know, it would be a little weird having a kid do that for a band that's been gone for, you know, 20-something years. So they actually changed it up. The The episode that they finally revealed what happened to him was actually just this week. It was, I think, episode three or four. Um, I'm a little off on my episode numbers because they kind of did the double episode first night thing. So they show, and it's, it was more of a oh crap moment that it happened. Um, and he is a typical teenage character, but he's kind of, he's definitely dark comedy relief. Um, he's currently in hell because he was bothering the preacher for help. And he's, his face does, in fact, look like an arse. Um, British writer, remember, so it's definitely arse. Um, and he's bothering the preacher in season one, and the preacher's like, just go to hell. So all of a sudden the kid was gone mm. in hell. But 
he can't get back at the moment. So that character is kind of, you kind of occasionally cut out to him. Um, but the, this season started off really strong. They finally like really reached for the absurdity stuff. The, uh, there's an angel that's kind of hunting him down. Mm-hmm. And whenever he fails, he can kill himself and kind of reappear. So if he gets like captured or tied up or whatever, he'll, he can just die. So at a point he's going through, <laughs> he respawns, like, he basically respawns like instantly. So he ends up hanging out in Vegas for a while and they do this awesome montage of him, um, joining up with the magician and getting killed in all sorts of fantastic ways, um, on stage just to basically, you know, and he becomes famous for doing so. So like all these people are like cheering him on as he's like really getting sawed at half. Um, speaking of really awesome, realistic guts that scene had it. And nice. they, I'm yeah, it, it was a fantastic, it was a fantastic scene. So he keeps on dying, um, in a bunch of ways. And it eventually comes out that he hired this, like another supernatural hitman called the, the saint of killers who is played by uh, Graham McTavish, who's a voice in Castlevania. And he's the Santa Killers leads to some of the much better action scenes than they had in the previous season. So, um, I was I've been riveted to the first four episodes. I love where it's going. It's basically it. They finally left the small Texas town, and I think in real life, when people are like, "Oh, I hate my little town because it's I know everybody and nothing changes," I think the show being held in that town in the first season was a big problem. But now they're kind of on a road trip from Texas through through a bunch of those areas, um, Vegas, of course, um, and now they're in New Orleans. That road trip has really, like, brought out the craziness of the show. Um, and really the the, after, the one thing that I that was not interesting, it was kind of sad, at the end of the first episode they had um, for Steve on there. And Steve Dillon, if you don't know, was um, the artist of the comic book. Uh, he was also the artist of a, of the Punisher comics that sort of had the same tone as that uh, as that mini or the short that Jimmy talked about, and um, he drew all sixty six issues. He drew some of the special issues, and he passed away from a ruptured ruptured appendix as part of the uh, you know to the killing spree that was two thousand sixteen, and you know just being reminded of that um, that loss because he was. He had a very unique style of comic book art. He had a very interesting way of drawing eyes, but his strength was in storytelling. And if he drew something on the page, regardless of how weird it was, you knew exactly what was going on hmm. because it, he had just clean, perfect style. And he died at like, he was like 50 something years old. And it was a, it's a loss for the comic book world. So that's preacher. I highly suggest you guys watch it because um, both of you are sick, sick freaks. You, and, you had me at the drunken Irish vampire. Yeah. <laughs> and, Jimmy, and Jimmy is at realistic guts as a guy is being cut in half at a magician show. So, Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. I'll check it out. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, I sold the show. You can send your checks to... <laughs> uh, Jimmy at Give Me Five Podcast. <laughs> and he's just intercepted your checks. <laughs> and a rent okay, back for a touchdown. Okay, guys. What next? So, Glow is a... Oh, is that Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling? That it is. is. <laughs> I watched that as a kid through staticky television. Oh, did you? 
his entire life as a kid was stat- watching glow through staticky television and then totally. trying to get trying to get the porn channel to stop flickering. <laughs> I'm still working on that. It hasn't, you know. There's a thing called the internet now. Oh, what's that? Yeah, there, uh, I'm sure <laughs> that you type just about anything into this thing called a search <laughs> browser, and you're gonna find pornography. Can we have a side to that so you can explain this internet to me? Yes. I'll okay, Quagmire. <laughs> <laughs> Giggity. Um, so, <laughs> Glow uh, is the story of the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, which was established... Loosely, loosely based on the story. Loosely based on it, um, which... Uh, what what year did Glow um, actually uh, come out? Was it like yeah, 1985? things about it. It's um, the original Glow, like the... the the wrestling show that was on TV. It was 1986 through 1992. Although the first wrestling matches, they actually taped in 85, but they didn't hit TV till um, 86. Um, There was 104 episodes and they filmed it in Vegas and they were, they didn't do live shows like WWF at the time, like around, they filmed at one location um, and then eventually switched to a different location. And it was basically all for TV. And it definitely was less geared towards the wrestling and more geared towards, which is crazy to say, considering 80s wrestling, um, more geared towards like stereotypes and soap operas type style and and things like that. And chicks in leotards. And chicks in leotards and some in ball gowns and some dressed up like old ladies and uh, things like that. Um, And then so the new show is loosely based on it um, and... You know, it's, what was it's it got, the uh, shot at the Riviera? I believe. I believe so. Yeah, it was shot at one of the ballrooms at a hotel originally. So, um, the new show actually has Allison Brie, who I love, in it. Um, she's in Mad Men, and she was in Community. Um, Mark Marin, a fellow podcaster, Mark Marin, um, with way more reach than us, but we're getting there. Shout out! Um, yeah. Um, he does the WTF podcast. Also, he was in Almost Famous as the um, sleazy promoter that tried to lock the gate as um, the bus was driving off. But, um, you know, and uh, Betty Gilpin, who was on American Gods, or who is on American Gods. So, you know, a lot of crossover in some of these things we watch. Um, and uh, what do you think of Glow? I thought it was really good. It... Um... So it was established to, you know, promote these this women's wrestling association that showed off these gorgeous ladies, as it says. But I really felt the portrayal of the, the producer and the director were very genuine and, and they were in it for the right reasons. And um, as far as the, the show, I, I thought it was very, uh, you know, timely, I guess, to, to that period or, uh, true to that period. Um, and, and there, there's just so many different characters in it and it's, it's, it's just really, really a fun watch and also very, um, kind of leads you to, to, if you realize that, Hey, this was actually a thing, you can look that up and you can go through and you can kind of follow these ladies after, you know, their careers. And it's, it's very interesting if you look into that. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I like we, we kind of alluded to earlier. I, I really dig the, the resurgence of the 80s style 
and the show definitely has that. Um, yeah, the show has a lot of things that I love. Uh, yeah. First of all, um, 80s music with um, like female singers like Pat Benatar, um, mm-hmm. uh, Patti Smith, and Scandal like singing about being a badass warrior. Again, sign me up. Like I'm right there. Um, and from like the opening soundtrack and the opening sequence was is fantastic. Um, it had that. I was like, okay. The first few episodes were just straight up fun. Um, it introduced the characters really well. It introduced the idea of what they were supposed to be doing. Um, there was a lot of play and talk about the stereotypes and, and so how these this, like actresses are going to do what they're more doing. More of a show, or is this more of like a documentary? On it's definitely a show. This okay. is a show. Okay. There, I believe there was a documentary about it, but this is definitely a show. Um, Greg was saying that it, it does. You know, it's it's very. You know, if something were like this were to come out today, it'd be very, I wouldn't say taboo, maybe offensive, but... The actual wrestling part of it, the this show actually just came out, but the the original wrestling show, if it came out today, it would be taboo. Well, yeah. as far as the well, stereotypes... Then, then, they were, then they were totally capitalizing on the explosion in popularity of, of wrestling in general, the WW, yeah, WWF and, in particular. And Macho I mean, Man and stuff like that. The, the mid, were, mid to late 80s was when, was when WWF just exploded in popularity. Hulk Hogan was starring in movies yeah. um, that actually you know, saw world... <laughs> I think it was like worldwide... Uh, Worldwide release. I don't know. I don't know how well it did, but like the movie No Holds Barred that he did oh, with, man. Uh, with uh, Zeus, Tiny Zeus. Littleton. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> love that movie. But um, yeah, go ahead. It uh, it really. I I think the the creators of Glow were in it to capitalize off of that. Mm-hmm. They were to you know they were trying to pay back off the success of that and to make the money, but the people who were really involved on the ground level of that show really cared about it. And they really cared about the sport, the, the director, the producer, even, you know, who hosted these, these parties at his huge mansion and everything. They were very, you know, at least it comes off across in the show. They were very genuine about, Hey, we want to do this. We want to push this sport forward. And, and while it may have, you know, yeah, it, it was to piggyback off the success of the WWF, at the time, um, you know, these people really cared about it and it's, you, you can really feel that through the show. Um, you really get that vibe off of it. The show starts off on, it definitely has that montage sequence of all like the hundreds of wrestlers trying to get the gig. It's just a quick cut kind of thing. And by the time they're done with that and they start introducing the interplay between the characters, you really love all the characters, um, or you hate them if you're supposed to. And then in the middle, it gets, it actually gets kind of serious. Um, not overly serious, but there's definitely some repercussions to some things. And then by the end of it, it almost turns into like a Cinderella story where you're like, okay, how are they going to pull this off? Um, you know, they've got, and you know, they have like two episodes left and they really, it kind of pulls together and you, you are, you're almost cheering for it. Like it's a real thing. And it's pretty realistic. Like, like I think Jimmy said, like if, if glow was a real thing now like real glow was around now it'd be scandalous and constantly people would be like angrily tweeting about it and stuff it's degrading and yeah and you're watching this and they put you know first of all i i couldn't stop watching it so i basically 
watch two, three episodes a night nonstop. Oh, I, so you're, you're kind of put in that world when you start binging stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I burned I burn through the first six in one day. Yeah. And, like, you see the character of someone who I, I really like, Mark Maron, saying certain things that are not sexist by 80s standards, but people, but you're like, wow, I'm really surprised that guy with his, with his thing would be able to say that. And you're like, oh yeah, he's playing a character from the eighties when, you know, commenting on someone's weight or commenting on someone's skin color or whatever, like that was way more accepted in relation to wrestling. So it definitely brings you in there. Um, And I was, uh, you know, I was I was not really cheering out loud, but kind of silently cheering by the end of the show. <laughs> so, so did they keep a lot of the um, a lot of the original performers' names and stuff for the show, or did they? It rename is it the is stuff? very loosely based. So loosely based. So it's almost like someone told a bunch of anecdotes to the producers and writers, and said, you know, these are some of the real things that happened, um, and those things kind of show up here and there, but. I would say it's only about it's even they they said it going into it. It's just the name. Okay, so um, since this is the Give Me Five podcast, I'm going to pose a quick Give Me Five to you guys. Can you give me five names of the original Glow ladies? Five of the personas of the original Glow ladies. I remember. I remember the old ladies. They were. And that was partially because when I was first told Jimmy about watching Glow, we looked it up. But I don't remember anything else because I never actually saw the original show. Wrestling um, was right out in my household. Yeah, I, I can give you Heavy Metal, which was the tag team duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackie Stallone was a trainer. Yes, okay. the Jackie Stallone. Um, aside from that, I, I, can't, I can't give you any more. Is it okay. Lady Liberty? Well, She's in the show. So, some of the ones I remember are Americana. Okay, that might be Lady Liberty. Shit. Polynesian Princess. Queen Kong. Mount Fiji. Hollywood and Vine. The Farmer's I Daughter. I them. Southern I Bells. I think, I think Farmer's Daughter was one half of the Southern Bells. I don't remember who the other one was, though. But I could be wrong on that as well. But yeah, I I I I watched the show <laughs> alone awesome. in his room with the door locked <laughs> through staticky television. Guys, I am excited because this past Sunday, as of the time that we recorded this, Game of Thrones is back on TV after a year of being yes. off of it. Oh, thank you so much! Finally, or as Finally. my wife said the morning when she woke me up, she said, "It's time for dragons. Time for dragons." Yeah. Well, winter is well, here. Winter is here. Okay. So there's a lot to talk about with Game of Thrones. Um, for the record, you heard the spoiler warning at the beginning. Here's where the spoilers are probably going to happen. You're yeah, definitely going to get spoilers. I don't know that we're going to get around that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Okay. However, this episode was sort of one of those episodes where they let the audience know, partially due to the fact that it was gone for over a year, where everybody is, what everyone's up to, who's dead, who's still alive, who are the major players. And I think they did a really good job of that. And how great was that opening scene? I'm I'm sitting I, there thinking, is this a flashback? Is wait, is why is Walter Frey still alive? 
And, and then, can I can I just admit to you that I had no idea who it was until they reached up and grabbed their face. <laughs> I, I was like, what? Oh, oh, yeah. Yes. I, I'm usually terrible at calling those things, and I somehow managed to figure it out sort of early. I was oblivious. My wife I, was not happy that I was like, I think that's so-and-so. Uh, oh, you're one of those. I'm totally one of those. She's like, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Well, she gets mad at me when I tell her that the dragons aren't real. I'm like, wow, they did really great CG on those dragons. And she's like, yeah, they got real dragons, and they've raised them by hand and taught them how to act. And when I'm like, but uh, look at – and she's like – Shut of up, course. Craig. She throws, me the did, business, she, she throws me the business card of a divorce lawyer and says, you know, I've got him on retention. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. So – Oh, man. Anyway, let's get back to uh, – Game of Thrones here. Mm -hmm. So, what'd you guys think? I will say that because it was a where you know, kind of a reminder of where everybody is now. Um, there were parts of the episode that did drag a little bit for me. Um, I really liked the beginning. I really liked the end. There were a couple of parts in the middle that made me laugh, but other than that, it was it. The episode really, to me, felt like a okay. We've been gone for a year. This is where everybody is. Here, don't forget. This is where everybody is. Okay, now let's go. Yeah, I agree. First of all, it it felt very full. Like it's because it's been so long since I've seen a show of that quality mm -hmm. with that many characters, with that much backstory. I felt like there was there was a lot to it. That makes sense. Like it didn't. Yeah. Some shows you watch and they seem cheaply made, and you just get used to it because. You've been watching the show forever. The the acting is good. You like the characters. This show just it feel it actually feels epic in scale, and I hate that term. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I will say that even though even though that was how I felt during the episode, at the end of the episode, I'm like, oh, this shit's about to get good. <laughs> yeah. No, I at the end of the episode, I was out of breath. Because I, just the anticipation of what's to come. Now, I will say that I that I did like the interaction between Jamie and Cersei because you can kind of see where Cersei is kind of starting to go a little apeshit nuts. A little bit, yeah. And Jamie is starting to recognize that, and he he actually physically, um, visually, kind of kind of recoiled from her at certain parts like yeah. you could see it in his in his mannerisms and he was like whoa wait a minute and he was standing what? further away from her in their right. interactions than usual right. usually he's within arm's reach of her when they're chatting and he was yeah. off or off to her left when they were standing there um and seriously says oh you haven't been the same since you came back and she says to him she says you're afraid of me and he says should i be yeah and and that was very telling, I think. Um, yeah, it just – it was a very interesting interaction. I, I thought the interaction um, between Cersei, Euron Greyjoy, and Jaime was – I thought it was hilarious. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, so Euron finally – Euron Greyjoy who left with with a fleet – from uh, from his homeland, where is that? It's uh, the Iron the Islands. Islands with the thousand Iron Islands, and he he arrived at King's Landing, and finally kind of interacts with Cersei, and says, "Look, I'm willing to 
join up with you and ally myself with you. With but, him, good he wants hands. him a bride and a kingdom. Yep. He wants a bride and a kingdom. He There's some banter there with her saying, like, well, you know, how do I know I can trust you? And him basically saying, I'm going to get something. So that's, there's your kind of mini cliffhanger there. Mm-hmm. Are Is this the point where we can speculate what we think that's going to be? Uh, you can I, go ahead and speculate. Yeah, I think sure. I have an idea as well. I think he's going to end up with Tyrion because with all the discussion – with all the discussion that Jamie and Cersei had about their brother, um, I think he's going to end up with Tyrion. And I hate to say it, but I think Tyrion might be one of the characters that goes um, in this season. Okay, so like, I want to go back and talk about where the various characters have been. Um, so we've got you know, Jon Snow, and they reveal where he's been. He's, you know, he is at uh he takes control of of winterfell correct and he's got king in the north he's the king in the north uh we've got sansa at his side we've got little finger doing his little finger things kind of being weaselly and leering at sansa and they do they do a really good job of making that actor whose name escapes me at the moment look aiden gillen yeah i think it's aiden gillen who for a long time on his twitter avatar had a cute little kitten on his shoulder and it made it really hard to hate him He's always got that good nefarious look every time something's going on. So Jon Snow's over there and possibly making some of the same mistakes that, well, we'll just say his father or his not who we believe to be his father was making in the past and deciding whether to let some of the traitorous groups of people back in alliance with the North. And I got I got to admit, I love that he's still. I don't know if virtuous is the right word, but virtuous at heart. Um, he's yeah. he's not going to turn his back on those who would support him for the crimes of people who just happen to share their name. Yeah. Well, can can we talk about how badass uh, Liana Marmont is? Oh, the, I love her. Oh, my God. She's, she's so fiery. She steals the screen from every single scene that she's in. Episode 10 of last season – season six she gave the speech that united everyone under you know john snow's uh leadership um where she said oh you know so and so your family was murdered at the red wedding and you guys didn't you know answer the call you guys didn't answer the call you guys didn't answer the call but now we will because john snow is the true king of the north and there's a moment where she has another one of the, you know those kind of speeches in in this episode where it's suggested that by Jon Snow, hey, we need to have a blade. Everybody. Yeah, we need yeah. to have a blade in the hand of everyone who can wield one. All hands and, on deck. But yeah, she you know Leona, she gives this speech about arming, you know the anyone from what was it age ten and on. Yeah, I believe well, so. well, not not only that, but he, um, th- some of the, I guess you'd call them barons, some of some of the uh, the the nobility under Jon Snow right. were just absolutely incredulous that he wanted to stick a sword in women's hands, and they were like, "Whoa, wait a minute, what? No, huh? No, wait a minute." And yeah. and she took exception to that and freaking verbally smacked down those guys. I mean, just stuck them in their place. Oh, it was so fantastic. Good. Her character is is so amazing. Uh, I I believe the 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 Baron uh, or the family leader says, 
you expect me to put a sword in my daughter's hand? And she goes, hang on, wait a minute. I'll fight these people. I'm like seven years old. Exactly. It, it was amazing. I mean, she stole the show. She she is fantastic. And can I just can I just put in are you guys are you guys happy with the change in Sansa's character? I like that she's showing a little bit of teeth. She is, yeah. Well Sansa did stand up to Yeah, she stood up to John and I thought there's a couple things interesting about that cuz Sansa was the most I think it is it Sansa or Santa? Sansa? Sansa. Sansa, whatever. Oh, I've heard I've heard Sansa as well. But anyway, her character always kind of fell ass backwards into making the wrong decision for like the first four seasons or just bad luck. Or know. she was just completely meek and didn't say anything. Yeah. And I thought that she was a frustrating character. Like, why won't she learn? Oh, and I, I hated her. Because, I, I think her. it's so that now when she's showing that she has learned, she yeah. has a foot to stand on because like, look, I've seen all of the ways to do this wrong. Uh-huh. Now I know the way to do it right. She and I'm not learned. sure if you guys noticed – uh-huh. But she was sporting Cersei's hairstyle from season one when all of the like oh really manipulation was going on. She had that braid. I don't know what it's called, oh, like I the missed, braid I wrapped around that. her head, like a crown kind of with the long hair kind of underneath it. I just thought it was a popular hairstyle. I yeah, they kind of when she's standing out on the that balcony talking to Jon Snow, um, they kind of started panning the camera in on it. The cinematography in that show is so good that if they're moving the camera towards something, there's something going on in that general area. There's a reason for it. That they want you to see. Gotcha. Not just because it's artsy, but because it's something important to the story. You really have to pay attention. This is not not a look at your cell phone while you're watching kind of show. Right. And and I love that she's gotten some teeth and that she's learned and she's starting to show it and she's – and she stood up to John. But, you know, John puts on this – I mean I I say he puts on this front and in front of, you know, the the families that are uh, supporting House Stark, but they also confer afterwards. And right. they, while they had their disagreement in front of everyone, you know, Sansa comes to, to John afterwards and they, they talk it over and they, they seem to be on the same page. They do. I think they're teasing something, but I'm not sure if it's just going to be kind of a side story or if it's going to be something big. Yeah, I don't know. This is just me. I still think John and Danny are going to end up in some kind of an alliance. Um, whether it be through marriage, because anybody who knew about their their past or their history or their heritage or whatever is pretty much dead. I mean, the only person who can fill them in on any of that is Bran, and he might Red Raven. I know he might get caught up in that whole White Walker debacle, huh? How about that? They got giants. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. If you guys didn't get a chance to see it, they do this very long pan over the White Walkers, you know, very slowly making their way through kind of this icy hellish landscape and then the camera like i said before the camera goes on the stuff that's most important and it goes right in on um on yun yun is that his name is it Uh, one 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 one. yeah they they showed that there's this silhouette in the background and at first i thought it may have been a mammoth but as it as it comes forward i i i just my heart sank giant zombie giant huge zombie giant you're yeah. like no With no you're like others in the no. background and then there's two more and you just go oh man oh they've got giants and and i gotta say that um based on what the the hound saw in the fire 
I think the wildlings are in for a rough night. Oh, poor Tormund. So the hound, they do a, a thing where the hound, who is pretty much a non-believer, looks into the fire. Yeah, that was a very interesting character turn, uh, like a a heel turn. Thoros was looking into the fire and asking the hound if he saw anything. And the hound was like, I see fire. And he's like, look closer, look closer. And he got the hound to look in. And then the hound had a vision. And the hound's vision was, um, if I remember correctly, the hound's vision was basically the White Walkers overrunning the castle by the sea, which is which has been a castle that's been talked about in previous episodes and at various points throughout, um, you know, the history of the show as well as the book. But the castle by the sea is is an unmanned castle currently, and that is where Jon Snow sent the wildlings because all the castles are empty and they need to get a manned and they've got a whole bunch of people now. So they went, so they're like, okay, you guys take this castle. You guys take this castle. And the wildlings, the wildlings went to the castle by the sea and the hound sees the white walkers, um, basically going through the castle by the sea. Yeah. Marching around the wall and going through that castle. And it doesn't look good for the wildlings. No, I think it's going to go very poorly. I got I got to talk about the most important part of the episode that none of you guys have brought up yet. Um, that would be the montage of poop. Oh, that was so. Oh, gross. you always come back to. Oh, it was so nasty. Always poop. Why is it always poop with poop. you, Greg? Why is it always, always poop, poop with, with me? You? So here's the deal. So Sam, who you thought when the last when last we saw Sam, he was gleefully happy, sort of like Rapunzel or Belle hanging out in a giant library, and. I guess he's getting ready to. Yeah, he's getting started on his maester training, but maester training apparently is dealing with um, a few things. Some of which are interesting, but but there was definitely a, I would say about a two or three minute long. Although it seemed about like an hour long. Yeah, it montage of of poop being emptied out of um, all different consistencies. Chamber pots, yeah. Chamber pots and. Beef stew being served in, kind of in between there. So it would be poop, beef stew, poop, beef stew, poop, beef oh, stew. You know, it reminded me of the scene from uh, Me, Myself, and Irene. Where the ice cream? With the ice cream and uh, uh, was it Frank is taking a dump on his neighbor's lawn. And they cut to the ice cream soft serve being poured out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, wow. it was glorious. One thing that was revealed there, however, was was Sam delivering some food to a cell and this arm comes out covered in, in grayscale or dragon scale um, looking pretty pretty sick and there's some hacking and coughing and it turns out that that is um, Jorah Jorah Mormont thank well, you for screaming out the names I'm bad with names you guys are going to have to help yeah. me on that one Jorah is turning into a stone man um, as he was touched in an attack and you know when Sam was walking down that hallway after his revelation that uh, there is a mound of, of dragon glass in Dragonstone. Um, which can be used to kill White Walkers, which we learned earlier in the episode. Yes. Which is how uh, John and Daenerys are going to come into contact, but go ahead. Yeah, but um, as as Sam's walking down that hallway, I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, he's looking for a way to send out a raven to, to let John know. But it took a completely different turn, you know. Uh, different than I expected when Jorah, you know, reaches out his hand and he's, he's maybe 60% stone man right now. Um, it'll, it'll be, he, and he asks, uh, you know, 
is the queen here. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know where his character is going to go, but I'm, I, uh, we'll see how long he hangs on to his humanity and what role he plays. Let's see. So we, we're, we know where Sam is. We know where Jon Snow is. We know where Sansa is. We know what's going on with, um, Euron and Jamie Lannister and Cersei. Um, let's see what's, let's go see what's going on with, uh, with good old Daenerys and her dragons. Yeah, Danny and her dragons have arrived at Dragonstone. They have arrived. And let me just say, when she opened that door on the beach, I was like, oh, no, girl, that's too far to walk. You should have flown them dragons up there. <laughs> I think everyone thought something bad was going to happen. Oh, every time they opened a new door, uh, because it was alluded to in you know earlier in the episode that Jamie Lannister while they while him and Cersei were standing on the map and speculating where uh each front was coming from Cersei asked Jamie she says well where is Danny going to land and he says Dragonstone so you know jump forward to where you know Danny does land in Dragonstone and you know I just expected um Every time they opened a door, I I was like, okay, who's behind there? Okay, they they go down another corridor and they open another door. Oh, okay, is Jamie Jamie gonna jump out and be like, hey, you know, um, so and start hacking people to pieces? <laughs> yeah, with his one hand, exactly. Yeah, and then you know what's weird is the episode ended, and I usually I go on complete. You know, I have to, always have to watch the episode. 30 minutes later than it actually runs just due to the fact that I have to put a relatively fussy four-year-old to sleep. And so there's always people that are start watching it. And of course, you know, Facebooking and tweeting and all that stuff about it. So if it finishes up and everyone Greg's is on a social media blackout for 30 I'm minutes. on a complete social media blackout for 30 minutes. I was and, for four days. Yeah. And he wouldn't even let me talk to him when I was, when I saw him, but Everyone couldn't stop talking about this Ed Sheeran cameo that seemed to derail everyone from the episode. And uh, who cares? Yeah, I really didn't he, care about it. Yeah, I didn't care about it too much. It was being an old guy. I probably wouldn't know Ed Sheeran if he was sitting next to me. However, something like that guy looks familiar. So I was able to kind of piece it back together. But for some reason, that really derailed people from the enjoyment of the show. And yeah. I was like... Can I just say that when I saw the episode, I didn't know Ed Sheeran was in it until I saw the credits? I I had heard about it, but I didn't really care. Um, it, they were knights of the – they were Lannister knights, correct? Yeah. yeah. So you're supposed um, to hate them anyway. You're supposed to hate them, but they, they also kind of talk talk trash about you they know, kind of, King's Landing. They kind Landing. of made you like them. Yeah, they yeah, did. That was the thing. They, they reminded – that, that's what they were there for. I mean, Arya had just killed an entire room full of people, and they made her a little more human as they talked about how much everything sucks. Yeah, she killed all the Freys, and they go, oh, well, we're just going to check on Walter Frey. And she just – she's sitting there, and she uh, – uh, you know, so we'll see where that goes. Maybe they'll escort her back. I'm going uh, to kill the queen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to kill the queen. And they're just there was this pause. And then they all started laughing, and uh, I don't know. We'll see what's to be revealed with that little group. 
And something that I that I forgot to mention. Can I just say that I liked that they how they showed. I think they do it periodically during the show. Um, not this show, in, not this episode in particular, but throughout the run of the show, um, that the hound kind of has a conscience. Did you guys he, notice that? No, he certainly. I made note of this as well. He he has shown that before. Yes. Um, yes, it's not something that they show all the time, but it is something that like he's kind of conflicted and he kind of feels bad about the stuff that he does, but he does it because he feels it's necessary. When they went back to the farm, because the farm that they that they went to that was abandoned was the farm where he stole all the food and the money from, and the guy and his his daughter or whatever ended up dying because they starved. And then he looks into the fire. He he sees that, and he he kind of has this. I I think it was a big revelation for him, where they they cut back to the the brotherhood, and they're at this farmhouse. And what's his name, Rob? Which one? Barrett, he John wakes Darian up. Thoros? No, Thoros wakes up and he hears this noise, and he comes out, and the hound is burying the the old man and his daughter. Yeah, and Thoros comes to help him. I I think that was a big shift in the hound. First of all, the scene where he stole all the food and money, they put that in the opening like previously on. Yeah, and and like the the recap at the very cuz it was a while ago. It was several yeah. it was yeah. a while ago. And when that scene first happened, you the viewer thought that the hound had turned a corner at that point because he was nice and to them at that time. And then he stole the food and money. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I guess he's not there yet. So it was almost like, oh, likable character. And now when they revisit that and he shows remorse, he buries the body. He definitely talks about the, it in a negative sense that maybe he actually has turned that corner for real this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as they're, they're coming, you know, that party is kind of coming onto the, the cabin. Uh, the, the hound says, um, these people don't want us here. You know, let's no, let's go away. Let's go away. He he doesn't want to face it, but he does. He looks yeah. into the fire. He faces it, and 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 maybe he does turn that corner. You know, it was a very interesting uh, character twist. I I I think. Well, I think we covered pretty much the whole episode. As we said earlier, you know, the ending of the episode was basically Danny finally getting to to Dragonstone, and the doors opening up, and you know, there's there's a lot of wars to come. There's going to be a lot of pieces to move around there's going to be sam doing research on on dragon glass and i think we're going to start seeing some fighting next episode yes eddie okay well i think that takes us through the five things we wanted to talk about today but we want to hear what you think so feel free to drop us an email at give me five podcast at gmail.com hit us up on twitter at give me five pod or you can of course check out our facebook page just look up the give me five podcast on facebook thanks for listening Thank you, guys. Good night, everybody. So for my number two this week, I've chosen to talk about where you can actually purchase them and contribute to their kind of movement. Um, <laughs> second. You can contribute to their shorts?
Yes. No, he said my my number two, and then he said contribute to the movement, and I was like. <laughs> In their shorts.